0: Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. You do not have to live in this world for very long before uh, you're faced with the reality that, that there is a lot of division and opposition uh, in our world. I don't know what that looks like for you, it might come about through uh, discussing movies. Uh, Maybe you have a a favorite movie of some kind and someone else, maybe someone else in your household thinks it is the worst movie that has ever been made. Uh, Maybe you have a favorite restaurant uh, that you like to go to and someone else gags at the very thought of having to walk through the doors of that building. Maybe uh, it, it takes on something a little more significant in the world. Maybe you have a a preferred uh, political candidate or a preferred uh, policy of some kind that that you think is good for the world, and and other people would consider that candidate, that policy, and anyone who identifies with them or that as as inhuman. We live in a world uh, filled with division. Whether it's people disagreeing with us or just what we find in our day-to-day life, there are all sorts of things that make life more difficult, either things or people or whatever it might be. uh, Whether it's uh, headaches from needing medical attention, and before you can get medical attention, there's a pile of paperwork to fill out. Someone needs government assistance to better their life in some way, and instead they find a maze of bureaucracy, they have to navigate first. Someone in trouble reaches out for help, whether it's to a friend, a mentor, a counselor, uh, whomever it might be, someone that they think they can trust and instead they are hurt. Someone recognizes something in their own life, whether it's uh, a sin, a habit, an addiction, whatever it might be that they recognize is a negative thing on their life, in their life, and that if they continue down the path of indulging whatever it might be, it will not end well for them. And so they take steps to try to deal with it, to try to kick the habit, to try to do whatever it might be, and instead what they find is that whatever it is continues to try to woo them back into what they've known before, promising short-term fulfillment and leaving them worse off than before in the long term. Uh, No matter what your thoughts are this morning on politics, religion, anything else, you don't have to live in the world for very long before you come to recognize we have a world that is filled with division and opposition. And that reality that we can't escape, it creates problems for a follower of Jesus. Because if we believe that God is all good and also all powerful, and yet we find that there are things in this world that are evil, we have to try to come up with some kind of way to explain that. Because it would seem that if, if God is all good, and yet there is evil in the world, that maybe he is not all-powerful. Maybe God desires good for us, desires good for, our creation, for his creation, and yet he's not fully able to do something about it. Therefore, we have evil in our world. Or, or maybe it could be that, if, that God is all-powerful, and, uh, and uh, there is evil in our world, and yet God is not all-good. Maybe God is able to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants to do it. It's just that whatever he desires aren't always good things. We might try to explain the reality of our world in that way, and yet the Christian faith has always affirmed that God is both all-good and all-powerful, and yet there's evil in our world. So how do we make sense of what seems like a very clear contradiction? Well, it's a question that Christian thinkers have been wrestling with for centuries, so I'm not going to solve it this morning for all time, but the passage of Scripture we're going to walk through today, this parable from Jesus, gives us, I I think, a glimpse at an answer to this problem. We've been walking through uh, this section of teaching from Jesus that we get in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where Jesus is simply uh, kind of preaching one long sermon through telling lots of stories. Lots of parables about who he is and about his kingdom. And two weeks ago, we, we looked at uh, the story Jesus tells about a seed being sown in a field, and just like how seed is sprinkled on all kinds of different types of soil, and therefore it responds in all sorts of different ways, in the same way Jesus says that people respond to the message of his kingdom in all sorts of different ways, and that plays out in all sorts of areas of life. Last week, we looked at this little story that Mark tells us about, where Jesus says that just how a little seed grows, even though we might not fully understand when and how and how it all comes about, uh, uh, his kingdom continues to advance in the same way, just like how a seed uh, eventually sprouts into something, his kingdom will eventually grow as well. He's going to tell a few more stories today that are similar that we're going to unpack. But if I can be honest up front, at least to us as we read Scripture today, the the passage of Scripture we're going to walk through today is arranged in a way that is a little strange. And so this, this passage essentially breaks down into four parts. So I want to walk through each of those four parts today. So just so you're aware up front of where we're going. In part one, Jesus is going to tell us a story. In part two, Jesus is going to tell us two more stories that are really similar to one another, that complement one another. In the third part, Matthew kind of interrupts the words of Jesus for a little bit and offers some of his own commentary on what's happening for us that's based in some words from the Old Testament, which we'll get to. And then in part four, Jesus comes back to that first story uh, he told earlier to flesh out for us what it means and what he is getting at. So what I want to do this morning is take each of those four parts, kind of pull them apart, walk, look at one part at a time, and then at the end, come back and push, put them all back together so that we can see in this section of teaching what Jesus is getting at through each of these parts as he continues in this broader section of teaching to show us who he is, uh, what his kingdom is all about, and how the work of that kingdom continues. So let's start reading in Matthew 13. I'm going to start at verse 24 and read down to verse 30. It says, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. I don't know about you, but when I read this story, I sometimes have a hard time picturing the scenario that Jesus uh, describes. I mean, I've been party to a fair number of pranks in my day, and this doesn't seem like a good one, if we're being honest. The idea of sneaking into someone's field and sowing weeds at night just doesn't seem like a, a great way to get back at someone, at least in my mind when, when I first come to this parable. I mean, is the guy who sowed weeds in this field, is he like hiding in the bushes laughing as the servants are like, there are weeds growing in this field, what's going on? Is he walking by this field every day, like rubbing his hands together, celebrating this prank that he's pulled off? Like, What, what is going on in someone's brain to, to where they think that this is a good idea to try to pull off? And you probably haven't had all those thoughts while you're reading this parable, and that's probably because you're more well-adjusted than I am, But, but it just seems kind of strange, at least to our ears today. I mean, who in their right mind sows weeds in a field of someone that they don't like? And I don't know if I have a clear answer to that question, but we do know, history tells us, there was a law in the Roman Empire that was against this very thing. It was illegal, to sow weeds, to sow seeds in someone else's field. And so uh, governments don't typically put laws on the books unless they're trying to stop the thing that they're prohibiting in that law. And so it seems that if the Roman Empire says this was illegal, it must have been something that was happening and was calling problems, causing problems. It's like if you ever read a warning label, it, there's probably a good chance that that warning label exists because someone has done the thing that the warning label is telling you not to do. I came across some of those this week, and I, I'll be honest, I don't, I'm not sure about the sources on all of these, but they made me laugh, and that's what matters, really. I think we can all agree. So there was a, a warning label on a wheelbarrow, apparently, that said, not intended for highway use. So if you had any ideas about pushing your wheelbarrow down the highway later today, don't. Uh, there was a label on a stroller that says, remove child before folding. So those of you with young kids, I'm just, I'm just trying to help, you know, to get the kid out then. Fold it together. There was one. Uh, it was apparently on next to the gas tank on a jet ski. It said, "Do not check fuel levels with a lit match or an open flame." Which I mean, if it's dark, you got to have something to be able to see down in there to see how much gas is still in the tank. But you know, an open flame, maybe not quite as much. I don't know for a fact, but my hunch is that someone somewhere has asked the question about all of those things about whether or not that could happen, and therefore, as absurd as we might think they are, this warning label had to be put in place and as absurd as we might think it is, that someone would sneak into a field at night of someone they don't like and sow weeds in that field. Uh, Apparently, this was a real problem. And in the world Jesus lived in, if this happened to you, it would be serious. I mean, most of the first followers of Jesus were on the lower rungs of society, and, and in this part of the world, we know from history, bread is the staple of everyone's diet. So the idea of a wheat harvest being threatened can be a serious problem really quickly. Starvation is on the table pretty soon if you're not careful. This can be a pretty serious threat. And it's made even worse because of how hard it is to tell the wheat and the weeds apart. The specific kind of weed that Jesus is describing here, uh, you, you can even sense it in, in the, the way Jesus tells this story. The weed looks exactly like wheat until the heads in the grains begin to form. Uh, once once the heads form, this, this specific kind of weed, it has a black head and it can actually have a fungus in it that's toxic to humans if you eat it, so you don't want to play around with it, but you don't know that it is a weed, really, until it's too late in the process to be able to do anything about it. And that's why we get in these verses that, uh, this problem that the, the servants are trying to sort out. Do we just uproot all the, all the weeds? And the, the owner of the field says, No, we need to wait. We need to let them all grow together and we'll separate them at the harvest because to pull up all the weeds would also threaten the wheat. So we have this owner of this field who allows the wheat and the weeds to grow together. And then he says, When the harvest comes, uh, my, my workers will go out. They'll separate the wheat from the weeds, they'll gather the wheat into the barn and the weeds will be burned. That's part one. That's the first story Jesus tells, and he continues, and he tells two more stories. Picking up in verse 31, Matthew writes, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus tells these two quick stories together to show us how his kingdom grows, and I think it's interesting that Jesus pairs these two together, because if you notice, one of them is from nature, from outside, it's about seeds and how they grow, and one's from inside, we could say. It's about baking and how yeast works when you're making bread and things like that. Jesus Apparently has something for everyone. But both of these stories, even though they're from different places, they make the same point, just like how, uh, how bread, uh, flour is transformed, excuse me, by yeast, just like how a small seed can grow into something major. So also this is how the kingdom works. And Jesus tells us about that, he gives us a clue that that's what He's getting at with that expression that begins both parables. The kingdom of heaven is like. That's what Jesus is getting at here, and we can't lose sight of that. Too often when people read these, these, these two parables, they get bogged down in the details, and you'll read things like, well, you know, the mustard seed isn't technically the smallest of all seeds in the world, so Jesus isn't totally right there, and really, you know, once it grows, uh, it's, it's kind of more of a bush than a tree, so Jesus is kind of off base there, and because it's just a bush— It's not quite big enough for a bird to, like, build a nest in. So, you know, I see the point Jesus is getting at, but he's not technically right. Or you'll read things like, well, you know, I mean, 60 pounds of flour, that's a lot. Like, Jesus isn't dealing in reality here. I mean, what kind of person is baking this much bread at this time and place in the world? What is Jesus doing? The story doesn't make any sense. And I'm not trying to ignore questions being asked of Scripture. I'm not saying we can't ask questions of what Scripture means and it is getting at, but it's also important for us to remind ourselves that we have to read Scripture on its own terms. When Jesus is telling a parable, he is telling us a story to reveal to us something about his kingdom. So when we, when we focus on these details, we miss what he is saying. So what is he saying? Just like how a seed can grow from something very small into a a massive plant, one big enough that a bird could come and rest on on its branches, so also the kingdom of God might start small and insignificant, just a carpenter from Nazareth by the Sea of Galilee telling stories and grow into something that changes all of world history. Just like how a little bit of yeast makes a big difference once you work it into the flower, this kingdom will spread all over the world, changing society from top to bottom. No one in the ancient world considered humility a virtue, a thing to aspire to, until Jesus came along. No one thought slavery was this inhumane institution until the church followers of Jesus began thinking through what it actually meant that all people were created in the image of God. Uh, The church created hospitals and universities as they were working out what it practically meant to live as members of God's kingdom and the message of Jesus. It might start small and insignificant, but it grows into something that is powerful and transformative, and Jesus uses these two examples of mustard seed and yeast to show how that comes about and how we are a part of that reality even as we are gathered in this room right now. So that's the second part of this passage. And it might be at this point that at least for us, we would think if we were telling this story, you stop and you tell what the point of all of this is. These stories are vague. They don't make that much sense. What is Jesus getting at? But instead, Matthew jumps in to give us his own commentary on what's happening. So I want to read what that is in verses 34 and 35. He says, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Matthew quotes Psalm 78 there. And and if we were to turn back to Psalm 78 in our Bibles, we would see it is a a psalm of Asaph. Asaph was a, a musician in the temple in the Old Testament. And we would see in the heading of that psalm, we're told that, that this psalm is called a maskeel. And scholars aren't entirely sure about what that word actually means, but what we find is that these psalms that are, that are called the maskeels, typically they are psalms that are teaching in some way. They are songs they were used in worship amongst ancient Israel, but, but these, these psalms are specifically designed so that God's people could learn something as they are singing them. And that's what Psalm... 78 is. We don't have time to do it this morning, but it's generally a good rule that if we're reading through the New Testament and, and we see a quotation from an Old Testament verse like we find here, it's usually a good idea to go back and try to read some of the broader context around that Old Testament verse because more often than not, the New Testament writer has that broader context in their mind, even if they're just pulling out one or two verses as they tell their story like Matthew does here. And so, if we were to go back and read the the rest of Psalm 78, because it is intending to teach God's people, we would find it is a theological history of the nation of Israel. Psalm 78 highlights time and time again the fact that God has been faithful to His people, even when they have not been faithful to Him. And that has been the story of God's dealings with humanity from almost the beginning. And Matthew quotes here, from Psalm 78, here to make it clear that everything spelled out in that Psalm about how God has been faithful despite his people failing continually, that that has been the story all along. And Psalm 78 draws that out in a way that might not be obvious if we're just reading through the story of the Old Testament, but that has been the story, and that is still the story as Jesus is telling these parables of his kingdom. The things Jesus reveals in these parables are things that are in line with how who God is and how He has always acted towards His people. But He is bringing it out in a new way, in a way that not everyone we find out is prepared to understand. But as Jesus reveals what His kingdom is like, He's not doing something new. He's continuing the story of God's dealings with His people for centuries. And if Jesus is doing the same thing Psalm 78 is doing, then that is helpful for us as we approach the end of this passage where Jesus circles back to explain this first parable to us. If it's true that God has always been faithful, even when we have not, then that means that if and when we observe this opposition, this division that we find so often in our world, the problems are not the fault of God if we made the mess, we don't get to blame God for the mess that exists. It doesn't work with a kid trying to blame their parents. It shouldn't work for us either. The story time and time again has been that humanity as a whole and us each as individuals, we walk away from God, and yet God continues to be faithful, continues to call us back towards Him. And that happens again in the teachings of Jesus. So In this last section, Jesus explains how this reality of his kingdom is understood in the midst of the world we live in that is broken, that has opposition, that has division, and not only that, but how we can be a part of what he is bringing into the world. God is all good. God is all powerful, and even though we live in a world where evil exists, he has not left us to figure it out on our own. He is inviting us in. To be a part of the solution, and he explains that in the last few verses here, starting in verse thirty-six, Jesus uh, goes into the house. Matthew tells us he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, "Explain to us the the parable of the weeds in the field, the first story Jesus told in this passage." He answered, Jesus answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The Son of Man is, of course, one of the titles Jesus gives to himself all over the place in the Gospels. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. let them hear. We live in a world filled with division and opposition, and the reason why is because we have an enemy who wishes to do us harm. His name is the devil or Satan, and he loves nothing more than drawing people away from our God. It's usually not stated in those outright of terms. The devil doesn't normally come to us and say, hey, do you want to do the exact opposite of what God told you to do? He's more clever than that. Usually goes something like Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve are dwelling in perfection in the Garden of Eden. They have everything they could ever want. God has asked them to care for his creation. He asked them to trust in him. He says there's one tree in the garden. Don't eat from it. If you do, you will die. And everything's great until the serpent, the devil, Satan, comes and begins to ask Eve if she is sure that God can be trusted. Are you sure that God is good? Are you sure he's not just holding out on you? Are you sure he's not just trying to keep something from you that will be for your betterment, for your flourishing, will make you more accomplished in the world? Are you sure? And those seeds of weeds are being sown. The the questioning continues. Adam and Eve eventually um, decide that maybe God isn't good. Maybe maybe God is holding out on them. Maybe God has given them this command, and he has no concern for them at all, actually. He just wants to see if, if they'll follow his commands, and that's not fair. And so... As those seeds of weeds have been sown, they begin to sprout as Adam and Eve eat from the fruit. The fruit God had told them not to eat from. And at first, things seem great. Their eyes open. They see things in a new light. It seems like everything is better in the short term. And yet, so keep reading, as the weeds continue to grow, they begin to realize things are not as they were. In their shame, Adam and Eve begin to separate from one another and separate from God. This perfect relationship they had enjoyed is no longer there. They begin to cover themselves up. They're no longer able to be vulnerable with one another as they had been before. And and sure, God had said that they would die, and they don't die right away. Yet, death has now entered the equation because the enemy has sowed weeds, and they've grown, and they've sprouted, and the story continues today. Our world has been broken ever since that moment. And I don't know what it looks like for you, how you experience it, but you experience it. Whether it's in yourselves, whether it's in your closest relationships, whether you just experience it in looking at our world as a whole, I don't know, but our world is broken We live in a world that does not function as it should. We live in a world where we have an enemy who wants to destroy us and stop the work of our good God. And that is the point Jesus is driving home here. God created us for relationship with him, for relationship with one another. He created a good world that was meant to flourish as we partnered with him in ruling over it, and the enemy came, sowed seeds, sowed seeds of doubt, disobedience, of selfishness. And those weeds continue to grow, continue to infect our world, continue to prevent it from functioning as God created it to be. And as unfortunate as that is, that is how we answer the question of how we can believe in a God who is all-powerful and all-good in a world where evil exists. We have rebelled against him. We have gone our own way. We've we've decided that we can figure it out on our own. And God, in his perfect wisdom, has been at work to set right what has gone wrong in his good creation so that one day it and we might be all that it was created to be. We have an enemy, one who desires to do us harm, and yet, at the same time, that enemy has been defeated and will one day be defeated completely. And no matter what brokenness we witness in our world or in ourselves, no matter how much we might be tempted to despair, we cannot lose sight of the fact that the enemy has been defeated. World history is not building up to some final climactic battle. An unstoppable force meets an immovable object. We don't know who's going to win, so you better buy the pay-per-view package and tune in on Friday night. That is not the story. At the end of this parable... There's simply a harvest where the wheat is gathered in and the weeds are burned. At the end of time, evil will be defeated and it will not be a contest. God will defeat all evil and all parties and people that are aligned with evil for all time and God's people will dwell with him for eternity. That is where the story is headed. The kingdom of God prevails in the midst of a broken world. We hold on to that fact. We know that God has not abandoned us, and he will one day redeem all things. Those are the parts of this passage. And it it might seem odd, Matthew tells us this story in this way, Uh, but for whatever reason, as Jesus gets done teaching, this is how the story is recorded for us. This is how the disciples ask Jesus to explain things for us. And as Matthew tells us this story, he works it all together so that we might see What Jesus is getting at is he is inviting us into his kingdom. So I want to try to piece all the parts back together if it's possible. Because Jesus begins and ends this passage with the parable of the wheat and the weeds, which is describing his kingdom for us. The kingdom are the the good seeds, and those have weeds in their midst, and that can hinder the growth of the wheat, could cause problems for the flourishing of the field, and yet... Just like how a farmer will separate what is good from what is bad, God will one day judge evil. He will one day do away with the things that hurt rather than help his people and his creation so that his creation will be all that it was intended to be. In the midst of a broken world, the kingdom continues. God's kingdom continues to work just as it always has. Matthew points us back to this passage from the Old Testament to draw our attention to the fact that Jesus has not come to replace what God has done before, but to be everything it was intended to be. Just as God worked among imperfect people in the Old Testament, He works among imperfect people today. He calls us out of sin and death and into life with Him. The work of the kingdom continues. God has not changed course. He has sent His Son so that we might all have the invitation of life with our God the and that work continues and that work continues as God has intended and as that happens we might wonder if God is really in control I mean we might look at the world around us and think oh there is a lot of problems in the world what is going on? Has God forgotten about us? I mean, there is, there is so much wrong in the world. I'm just one person. I'm just a part of one little church. How can we make any kind of difference in a world that is as messed up as this world is? And yet, just as a mustard seed grows into a tree, just as yeast works through flour, this kingdom grows into something that transforms the world. The kingdom work continues, as God has intended, into something that is incredible. We live in a world that is imperfect. And you and I have each contributed towards those imperfections, and yet our all-good and all-powerful God does not give up on his kingdom and the people who are a part of it. In Jesus And throughout history, down to right now, he has been at work to undo the sin of our world, to bring about something that is incredible, and he has promised that one day that plan will be completed. His kingdom will be fully established, and we will dwell with our God forever. That's the invitation we've received. So as we live as God's people in the midst of this field where he is growing his kingdom, we do not give up. Sure, there are weeds in this field, but God is at work and he will fulfill his promises. So we walk with him day by day. We participate in what he is doing and we are all invited to be a part. So do not miss out on the harvest. God's kingdom sets right the wrongs that are in our hearts and in our world as we participate in life with our God. So listen to what he is saying and respond in faith as he grows us into what we've been created to be. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have come in, in your Son so that we might have life with you. That you have not treated us as our sins deserved when we had rebelled. You came so that we might be made new. So, Father, we ask that you would be with us so that we might respond in keeping with what you have done for us in your Son. That we might say yes to what you're doing in our lives, whether it's following you for the first time, repenting of our sin, stepping into, out in faith in a new way, whatever that is, Father, give us faith. Help us walk with you as you grow us into what we've been created to be. Be with us even now. May our worship be an appropriate response to what you have done for us in Christ. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French.